Let me know if this sounds familiar. A five-year-old child you know, perhaps your own or perhaps a student of yours, has started to do the opposite of what's expected, of what's appropriate, and has even started showing signs of rudeness and disrespect, especially, it seems, when other kids are around. This very same child used to be loving and kind and thoughtful and just wonderful to be around. Things are going downhill pretty rapidly, and to make things worse, um, your own reactions are charged because you're feeling frustrated, and sometimes you might even overreact with scoldings and threats and naggings and endless corrections and punishments. And even though none of that really is helping the situation, but pretty much only making it worse. In fact, there is research that tells us we're not alone in the scolding, nagging, and punishments department. On average, research has shown that young children receive behavior corrections once every nine minutes, which adds up to about six times in an hour, which turns into 60 times a day in a 10-hour day. It breaks my heart to admit it, but that was what my home was like with my two little boys. Not as happy as it had once been when they were littler and not going in a relationship-building direction. As teachers, we often hear labels like, that child is so bad, or that child is just being difficult, or that child is just stubborn. We also hear blaming statements like the parent saying that the parents or the teachers are inept and don't know how to handle the kid. But according to a book that I have great respect for entitled Hold On to Your Kids, um, written by Gordon Neufeld, Ph.D., and Gabor Mate, M.D., there are much more helpful answers than assigning negative labels which is what this episode of the Big Picture Social Emotional Learning Podcast will be all about. Welcome. My name is Nene White, and I would gladly trade places with you right now because I made so many of the mistakes that Neufeld and Mate's book could have spared me from. This episode is dedicated to all the teachers and parents who are ready to reclaim their rightful place in the healthy, balanced growth and development of the children in their care. In the previous episode of this podcast, I described the many reasons that kids need other kids for their healthy, well-rounded development into adulthood. There's good info in that episode, which references the well-respected work and research of Peter Gray, Ph.D., a professor at Boston College. At the conclusion of the previous episode, I told you that this, the follow-up episode, would at first appear to contradict that perspective, but... No, this episode won't be contradicting the previous one. It will, though, provide essential clarity for integrating two seemingly opposite forces in children's lives, the adults in their lives and their peers. The thing is, it is possible for children to be connected with their parents and teachers and simultaneously with their peers. Of course, we know that. But there is a way to make it happen in the right way so that everything's in the proper balance. Because it's not only possible for kids and parents and everyone to be in a kid's life, it's highly desirable. But the balance must be there. 
and uh, the attachments must be in proper proportion. Because if they're not, then there's a competition and a confusion in a child's awareness. So the main focus of this episode is to help clarify how to make sure that the, the primary attachment in children's lives is established. And that will be a big part of your responsibility as an educator. So, first thing first, we must understand love is not enough to keep children close to keep them attached to their parents. Because uh, it just, at a certain point, oh my God, how I wish I had known this, it just is not enough. Of course, love is essential, but once kids are moving away from total dependence on us, even by 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 the age of two, respect is also essential. And just feeling love and respect towards our kids towards our little ones, is not enough. They must be able to see our love and respect for them in ways that they clearly comprehend. In other words, the signals must be strong and obvious to them because if we're feeling the love but they're not picking up on the love we're feeling because we aren't sending the signals they need, then we're missing the boat. And that can result in some very sad and disappointing outcomes. As a teacher, I have to say, I was fantastic at sending the right signals to my students um, because the signals that they understood and responded to most positively. I can brag about my uh, successes as a teacher because, on the other hand, as a parent, I could have been so, so, so much better. First, let me tell you what young kids need from us. If we're going to succeed at orienting them towards us as their primary focus of attachment rather than orienting themselves towards their peers, you need to gain a working knowledge of this crucial dynamic because if you don't understand kids' needs, then most likely you'll end up feeling like you can't stand them. You just can't stand them because their behavior can be so insensitive to the point of being downright hurtful as the years go by if we haven't succeeded at this attachment challenge, which explains to a good deal anyway why I didn't succeed with my own kids and I did succeed with my students. The thing is, with our own kids, our hearts are completely on the line, completely vulnerable. And when our kids' behaviors change from being our loving darlings to treating us like we don't matter to them anymore. (sighs) Even though everyone else does matter to them, wow, that hurts. I can still feel the sharp pangs of those, those hurtful times. But here's the thing that I didn't know then, but I completely understand now. As parents... We don't get to succumb to those hurt feelings. We don't get to react as we naturally would if anyone else treated us that way. We have to. We must maintain the big picture and hold strong to our understanding that kids need us to love them, to listen to them, to acknowledge them, to accept them, which doesn't mean we have to agree with them, of course. But they need us to find ways to relate to what they're relating to. We need to see them and notice the best of their efforts, even when we are continuing to be their guide and to guide their behavior 
identifying and giving, giving a clear voice to the values and behaviors that we know will serve them best throughout their lives. It, more, it might, or more likely, it will look like they're ignoring us much of the time. And we cannot take that personally. Because, in fact, what we say to the kids in our lives does go in even if they're not acknowledging it. It's completely unfair and it's so frustrating, but we just have to know that to be a fact. This is where I got so hurt and often retreated into feeling that I was completely incompetent as a parent and just would give up. And those were the times when my kids needed me most. I'm sharing this with you because my sadness won't be a total waste if others gain some benefit from my mistakes. It is also small relief for the sadness I feel that when my kids were little, marketing practices and cultural values had been shifting away from traditional values in ways that seriously undermined most parents' confidence in their ability to properly parent. So I wasn't alone, but the real question you're probably asking now is, why, since the main audience of this podcast is early childhood educators, Am I going into all these details that are much more relevant for parents? And what does that have to do with my young students' social-emotional learning and life skills development? I'll answer the second question first, which will also answer the first question. The way that parents are relating to their kids, your young students, is going to make a big difference in how those young kids will be relating to you and to their peers in your class. If you can spot the mistakes that parents are making unwittingly and compensate for those mistakes, you can and you will be making a real difference in those kids' lives. A tall order, I know, but welcome to your life as an early childhood educator. In the book, Neufeld and Mate describe six ways to build attachment with kids in our care. They're definitely, definitely worth looking into, but for now I'm going to focus on the one that was most natural and resulted in the most rewarding outcomes for my students and me. Attention and interest are powerful primers for connection and healthy attachment. How do we show, how we show attention and interest in ways that are most meaningful to kids? It's in ways that it has to be in ways that really sink in for them and get them wanting more from us. If you thought about it for two seconds, I'm sure you could answer how we can do that, as well as the author answered that question. The ultimate gift of our attention and interest is given when we make children feel invited to exist in our presence exactly as they are. Exactly. Our challenge as teachers is to provide legitimate invitations or opportunities to be exactly who they are on a consistent basis. These invitations or opportunities must be too desirable, too rewarding on one level or another to be turned down. Opportunities that no peer can provide, but opportunities that can be shared with and amongst peers with you. Researchers have identified emotional warmth, enjoying, and delighting at the top of the list as effective activators of attachment. If we have a twinkle in our eye and genuine warmth in our voice, 
we invite connection that most children will not, that they most often cannot turn down. When we give, and we're consistent with those invitations and opportunities. When we give children signs that they matter to us, most children will hold on to the knowledge that they are special to us and genuinely appreciated by us, and that is how healthy attachment is built guarding children from misplacing their need for primary attachments onto their peers. When kids relate to us as a primary attachment, the values and the guidance we've provided will guide them even when we're not in close proximity to them, which is the real nurturing potential of what healthy primary attachments can provide. master teacher can create a whole class environment that works for everyone, which results spontaneously in improved social-emotional interactions in the classroom, on the playground, and beyond. The term master teacher might be a little intimidating, but it shouldn't be. It's just a matter of practice with universal principles to which we all relate. We always have, even when we ourselves were kids, and the kids in our classes relate to the exact same universal principles. We just all need to get back to remembering those principles and then choosing to practice them on a consistent basis. Yes, even remotely during this time of coronavirus virtual classrooms. And I have some ideas about that that I'd like to share with you in the next episode. Oh, and again, the name of the book is Hold On To Your Kids, written by Gordon Neufeld, PhD, and Gabor Mate. I will, uh, I'll put that info in the show's notes. I highly recommend that you get a copy because there is so much more valuable information than I shared with you in this brief episode. Until next time, all my best, and please continue to stay well. 